0: All right, Jordan, thanks for joining us on our Super for Good podcast. It's Great to have you. Thanks for having me. So on this podcast, we really just like to explore the stories of, uh, you know, of the people that have um, participated in our Suited for Good program. And, and the focus isn't on Suited for Good. It's on the story, um, you know, of the, the amazing people that will share their stories with us. So sure. maybe we can start wh- with you, like, you know, you're from how old are you
1: you know where, where were you born and raised that kind of stuff awesome uh, so I grew up here in Utah uh, was an army brat you know at a young age so I'm 42 now so I was born in in 81 uh, my, my mom and dad dad was stationed all over the country I have an older brother and an older sister so we lived in uh, st. Louis uh, just outside of Denver um, when I was young and my mom and dad divorced when I was about six going on seven years old, and mom headed back here to Utah with me and my brother and sister. So we all originated here. Uh, And so when they divorced, we we moved back to Kaysville. Uh, At that point, my mom kind of took on, you know, the role of a single parent, uh, you know, both being the breadwinner and raising three kids. And so she was, her personality, she was never really one to ask for, for help too much. She wasn't the type to... You know, look for assistance or other things. So she would grind and uh, sometimes working two, maybe three jobs at a time to help raise us. There's a gap between uh, me and my brother and sister of about 10 years. So So I'm the youngest. You're the youngest? I'm the youngest, yeah. So kind of like a little accident baby. Uh Um, So your parents were
0: together for quite a few years before they they split.
1: Yeah, I want to say, you know, probably 18 or Probably yeah. Probably probably fifteen, sixteen years, something like that. Because okay. my sister would have been, my sister would have been about eighteen years old at that time. So okay. yeah.
0: So, so your sister's the oldest.
1: Sister's the oldest, and my brother's right behind her, about a year and a half younger, and then me, ten years later. Ten years later. Yep. Okay. And so moved back to Kaysville. Um, you know, I was raised LDS. That was that was our faith, and Kaysville is a very LDS. Uh, city kind of a mix of like a suburban and farm community back at that time, you know, back in the, in the eighties. And for those who don't
0: know that would be Mormon. Yes. Or yep. Churches the Mormon the sense, faith. That's Mormon correct. Faith, okay. Yep. Yep.
1: And, uh, so coming back into that small town neighborhood and one of the tenants of like Mormon faith is very family based, very, very much so. And so in our, our ward, which would have been our local congregation, you know, or, basically the the church group in our, in our local neighborhood. I think I want to say I was probably the only single parent family in that, in that group. And so with that comes like some kind of immediate outsider feelings, um, very patriarchal based faith. And so there's a lot of like father son activities, stuff like that. So when your dad's not there, you know, luckily I had some friends whose father's Kind of stepped into that role, but it's still—it's not the same, right? You're not yeah. their son. You're not—you're not doing that thing. And so, I, I think at a young age, um, and I think with the gap between me and my brother and sister, you know, kind of had that only child feeling. Uh, mom was gone a lot working. You know, like I like I talked about, she was she was working quite a bit. So it kind of became one of those latchkey kids and sort of the outsider feelings, you know, of of groups and stuff. I remember being. You know, getting in trouble when I was a kid, I was not like the worst, but behaviors that, you know, counselors and teachers and stuff would would peg and say, hey, if he doesn't do something different than what he's doing, he's going to head down a bad path, you know, which eventually became a reality. But we'll get to that later, I guess. Well, I think it is interesting for those
0: who don't know. It is. It's a, you know, Utah is a very, uh, there's a very strong influence of the Mormon church and very Family centric, but uh, it is also a very definite definition of family, which yep. makes it really, really difficult. Because yep. if you don't conform, if if you're not, you know, traditional mom, dad, dad working, mom staying at home, and it's it's tricky. It's tricky. It, it can be very alienating for people who aren't.
1: Well, and I think I started to identify a little bit with that outsider feel, yeah. and I would purposely start to do things to push that you know I I, um today I I think that the faith I grew up in is I'm not a member of the church anymore and I I don't practice its faith but I I think it's a great organization you know but I was very rebellious towards it at a young age I you know and I I don't know how much of it was just being a kid and and trying to figure some stuff out and feeling like you got to point a finger somewhere at something at why things are the way they are you know and that's I think that's where it landed for me. So I started to be attracted to kind of a bad boy image, you know. Um, I guess how, I how old are we talking? Uh, probably around eight or nine years old. You know, just starting to get into little little mischievous stuff. My mom being gone all the time, she would uh, she'd bring me down here to, to Salt Lake City, which is you know about twenty miles from Kaysville. Mom worked down here in an office job. So in the summertime, she'd bring me down here and just trying to create some structure for me, trying to make sure I've, you know, not, not just a loose cannon going off all over the place. She got me into some summer camps and stuff down here. And I got introduced to inner city kids that way. Yeah. And some of their habits and, you know, like some of what I now can see was like multi-generational habits that were in their family and, and maybe some of these things. And I started picking up some of those behaviors and I'd take them back home to small town Kaysville. And so that outsider bad boy image started to form. And I, you know, I remember it started with, with swearing, right? Like uh, I'd be swearing around my friends yeah. and they'd just be totally, whoa, what are you doing? Yeah. And and I, I got, I kind of got off on that shock value. Yeah. 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 And and what I noticed is it started to, those friends started to fall in suit. You know, some of them would pull away, some of them would continue with their, with, with you know, the right behaviors that they were being taught in their home and stuff, but someone would kind of follow after me. And so I think in a way I introduced some of that stuff uh, to, to my peer groups of, of friends and things like that. Um, let's see, at about age 10, so what, third, third grade? Yeah, about third grade, you know, some of these behavioral issues kind of spread, started to show themselves in school and things like that, you know, and the teachers had commented to my mom, well, he's got to have some kind of learning disability, there's something going on, you know, and my mom was like, there's, there's no way he has a a learning disability, test him, and let's see, and so they did, and it turned out I actually had a, a little bit higher IQ than average, and was just not putting it into the right stuff, you know, maybe need to be challenged a little bit more, so in fourth grade, I started going to a gifted program. So, you know, what was initially, hey, he's got some problems, he's got some issues, turned into, well, maybe he just needs to be challenged a little bit more. And so went into that gifted program, did that for the remainder of what would be your elementary school years, you know, through sixth grade. And we were doing some really cool stuff. I remember coming up to the University of Utah and watching a cow get a heart transplant, you know, uh, doing college-level math. At, at those, Man. you know, and, and taking off on on Man. a lot of that stuff, and the expectation was that okay, once you complete this schooling, you're going to go into back into the regular school system, but you're going to be taking AP courses and you're going to yeah. be doing this stuff. You're
0: on a different track.
1: Yeah, and and a lot of the guys that the guys and gals that I I went through that gifted school with became doctors, became engineers, you know, different things, very successful. You know, it was it was it was kind of a springboard into life. Me. I took advantage of it when I went back into the regular school system, and I just signed up for the regular classes, and did the bare minimum lowest ex- expectations, and was a straight A student, but knew that I was just blowing through it, you know what uh, I mean, taking advantage, I could start kind you, of... You you could have done a lot oh, more. Oh, yeah, yeah. It was like too easy for uh, Yeah, and that kind of built a real habit for me of cutting corners, and trying to find the easy way to, you know, meet the status quo, and, and look like, you know, when I start building this everything looks good on the outside while really on the inside, it's not, it's not going so hot. And can I
0: interrupt just for a sec? Sure.
1: So your dad, mm-hmm. your dad is, stays back in was it Ohio. It was in uh, Colorado that they Colorado? divorced. Actually, dad came back out here okay. and was stationed in just outside of Salt Lake city. He, at w- Air force base. No, you? in uh, up at Fort Douglas. Okay. So he was army, he okay. was army. Um, and he was around and I would go see him, you know, couple times a year and kind of his his reaction towards me was to spoil me when I'd go see him you know probably maybe a little bit of guilt but he wasn't a very affectionate guy even when you know he was in the house wasn't wasn't a real hands-on like dad like that so yeah. so I think he tried to compensate for his absence and and those things it was always a kind to me was never you know not an angry guy. Um, actually have some hobbies that I that I have today that I picked up from our time being together and stuff so like what uh, I collect comic books really yeah I do I have I have quite a a comic book collection of you know and I built that habit with my dad he was a book collector he was he would do different things so we go on these kind of like little treasure hunts and he'd take me and show me all these cool little spots and so so affectionate guy but just not there not involved in my in my upbringing, not really any of that, you know, anytime I needed him, anytime that I wanted to go spend time with him, it was not a problem. It was kind of on you to, yeah, but he wasn't, yeah, yeah, he was doing his thing, so, So and he was there for my brother and sister as far as, like, financial, they both went to college uh, on missions and stuff, he was, he wasn't, like, a deadbeat that wasn't, you know, contributing with child support and stuff, so, but he just wasn't a family man. Yeah, huh, sorry, I interrupted Back, no, that's okay. back to where you were. Yeah, so you know, I get through the elementary school into junior high. Um, you're doing you're doing the minimum because it's easy. You can still yeah, can and, still and the, it, you know, getting straight A's, doing that. Yes, and and starting, to, you know, and you get into that age group where popularity and um, still have that rebellious bug in me. So you're you know, you're starting to build that character, right? You're starting to build that identity of who am I? What do I want to be about? Those different things. And naturally, my rebellious side, and if you told me not to do something, I was going to test out why you were telling me not to do it. I had to discover it for myself. Led me into drugs. You know, and it started off with a buddy of mine stealing some cigarettes from a gas station that he was working at at night, um, and we're smoking those, stealing a case of beer, you know, trying this stuff out. Really not even, like, it was an enjoyable experience, but it was that I was doing something I it wasn't was supposed, supposed to be, be doing. Yeah. How old were you when you tried your first cigarette? Uh, probably 14, you know, for, yeah, about 14 years old. Um, immediately that became a part of my identity. I'm a smoker. I'm, you know, we got to go out and hang out in the parking lot at the school, hide behind stuff, getting suspended from school for things like that, for, for smoking, and, um, vandalism stuff. You know, just, just little things that were led into big things later on, you know, and that's that's what they warn you at the time, and you're like, yeah. Man, you're making a big deal out of this, and it's not, but yeah. it was. Uh, the drinking thing wasn't really hooked like like some kind of immediate addiction or something. It was the social uh, lubricant that, that was the addictive part to me, you know, is all of a sudden you have something in common with other people, and you're, you're, and then you're attracting more people like yourself that are into getting away with stuff, that they're not supposed to be. And then they have other habits that they're sharing with you. And it just slowly builds itself until you're trying hard drugs. and Like at 14 or just a couple uh, of years? I, I want to say, you know, I started smoking pot at about 15 years old. 16 years old, tried methamphetamine for the first time. Wow. And, and how was school going at this time? So like in you're, high school... Are you still
0: able to ace and, and smoke meth? I mean, no, are, no. You i know mean So, so like once what?
1: those drugs start becoming like a... Prevalent thing when they start to become more important to me than you know, getting up and grinding and just and just living life. You know, because I remember as a kid, I was I was fun, adventurous. We'd go out, we'd ride our bikes, we we we'd explore places. We, you know, what I mean, very active, always always with my friends, always hanging out, having fun. And then the drugs came in, and that starts to become a core value that you share with other people that do drugs. And depending on your friendships and how how strong maybe some of your leadership qualities or your influence is upon those around you, you bring that into it. Maybe you're exposing some of your friends that would have never done it. You're the bringing system. them in. Cause you're, yeah.
0: you're, you're, I mean, people wouldn't know this, but you've got a very natural leadership quality about you. you. You walk into a room and I look at you and I think he's a leader of some sort. So yeah. I imagine that was part of that too. Yeah, for
1: yeah. sure. And that was, that became drugs, uh, alcohol, partying the the living kind of on that in that gray area you know straddling the fence in a lot of ways started to become part of the identity and when those things start to creep in um you know and and there were scares in high schools oh so back to your question about you know grades and stuff uh up through my junior year up to my junior year I was still basically a 4.0 student might have been like a 3.9 or something Um, but about my junior year that's when things really started to fall off and be sloughing school I'd miss more school than I was even there because the, the drugs and the partying and stuff became so important to me and that was yeah School schools just started to look like an obstacle rather than you know a vehicle to get me somewhere was how so was your mom was she aware of what was going
0: on I mean I I a single mom like,
1: the burden is so heavy. Yeah, and my brother and sister at this time now are out of the house. They, yeah. like I said, they went on LDS missions, you know, and, and for people that don't know what that is, there's a two-year period when you hit adulthood in the Mormon faith where you're you're asked to go out and serve, you know, spread the gospel, do that stuff. So they spend two years of their life doing that. My sister had gone to uh, BYU College and was, and was working on a degree there. Uh, my brother had, when he returned from his mission— you know, they were, they were high school age and then going and doing that stuff. So, they weren't there to support mom with, with sure. me. And my mom was very private about her business in life. Like I said, she didn't like to ask for help. She didn't like appearances of weakness or that she couldn't make it happen. And so, she tried to handle a lot of it herself. And that, that led to extreme stress on her part. You know, fig- trying to figure out how to build a career take care of her kids plus she's got this this kid that's that's being kind of a little you know a little pain in the butt a little menace yeah yeah. and I was intelligent so I would twist her mind in some ways and different things you know And, and she had her parts in it too she was she was very uh she would get emotionally aggressive and abusive at times with her stresses and stuff you know um not excusing that behavior, you know, but the thing that parents go through, you know, I'm a parent now today, yeah. so I, I understand some of the stresses and the choices that you make You are critical to, to what you it's do, so right? You know, every moment is just a different, you yeah. know, what do I do right here in this moment? And so mom had her, her her stuff in that, but she, she tried to do it alone. And one of the things when I got to be about 13, 14 years old, discipline was almost impossible with me yeah. uh, because I was bigger than her now. And so as far as like, her having any kind of physical ability to overcome sure. what I was doing wasn't that wasn't an option for her. Um, she would try to penalize me with you know disciplinary things like I'm not going to help you do this. You're going to do whatever. You're, I'm going to ground you. But she's at work. As soon as she was gone, I would figure out ways to. I'm out. Yeah, i out. Yeah, I would I would just start doing whatever I wanted, and that eventually I think wore her down. You know, to a point where she just kind of. Not accepted. Acceptance isn't the word, but just kind of went into denial. Yeah. What,
0: what else? What else? can I do? I do? Yeah. What can I do? I've done everything I can. Yeah.
1: So, um, so she, she attempted. And she
0: uh, was she a religious person? Was she? She was. Okay. She
1: was. And was your dad too? Uh, the... Raised that way, but no. no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that he was religious at all. Uh, my brother and sister, obviously going on missions. They both are devout in their faith today. Yeah. My mom is is still. Uh, and but it just and for me the rebellious side of me I started to poke holes into it I started sure. to be the kind of guy I would listen to music that purposely had a message that was anti-Christian or anything like that and I would you know wear the T-shirts and I would start doing that thing for the shock value and eat, drinking so much of my own Kool-Aid that I would start to kind of believe it you know but deep down inside I never I never truly did you know I I live today in my adult life the moral compass that I was raised as a child and I've always known that to be true you know what I mean the Uh, doing the next right thing uh, taking care of the world around you but I did spend a lot of years fighting that inside of myself with my choices and that was a living hell for sure why do you think uh what was it about it that I mean why why do you
0: feel like you had that you know there's so much to learn from from you and, like, if somebody's listening and feels kind of the same, like, what what did you... Have you been able to identify, like, why, why did I feel so much... Why did I want to be so opposite of what was expected, you know?
1: I think when you're young, um, there's there's emotions, there's there's feelings, there's anger, there's anxiety, there's questions about why do things work the way that they do? And if you're... You know, for me, I didn't have a dad there, and you know, and I, and I, I look back at my life, I spent a lot of time searching for a father figure and I picked poor choices in my own personal choices for them, huh. you know? And so I think that we are, a, you know, we're a malleable sponge yeah. that is trying to yeah. decipher who am I, what's this sure. all about, you know, in those young years yeah. and people are trying to guide you all the way They're you know, teachers, counselors, your parents, um, I came from a good background. There's people out there though that are dealing with, like I said, the multi generational uh, dysfunctions that they've had in their family, and, and they don't even have an opportunity to, excuse me, to uh, overcome some of that because they're, they're being reinforced. And, and that wasn't in my home. You know, I was I was definitely being chastised and directed towards you know what I should be doing. And for me, I, I think there was a. <clears throat> my mom used to always tell me you only function under your own authority. You know, mm-hmm. that I was very, I, I was, I was anti-authoritarian in oh. a lot of ways uh, growing up. And there were things that appealed to me. If, if, if you were an authority figure that I don't know, had particular attributes or things that I saw that I could respect, I would follow what you said. But for the most part, I had to be the one to decide what I wanted to do. You know, and, and I think that was, I think a large part of it probably came from the absence of a father in the home. Huh. I'm not blaming it on him. It's not sure. his fault. It's not her fault. But looking back now and being a parent myself today, I can see, you know, the necessity for some of these things. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it was an identity. It gave me something to feel unique about, to feel special about. You know, and I, I think every kid, yeah. every person's looking for that. You know, sure. what, what do I want to be? What do I want to do? Especially those... Teenage years—it's mm-hmm. difficult anyway. Yeah. Like so, socially, trying to fit in, and, and and I, you know, like you said, the leadership kind of qualities that I had—you want to have a purpose. I think, yeah, I think I was a purpose-driven person. Yeah, and I just didn't, didn't have your purpose. Yeah, yeah, and I well, and the, I did. I <laughs> I got a purpose. <laughs> yeah. It was just Good the point. wrong one. Yeah, and that was just a lack of a lack of really respecting, you know, what, what it was going to take. Uh, so
0: oh, and also at such a young age lack of direction mm-hmm. you know I, I think of conversations I've had with my kids uh, one of my kids uh, you know we're having a really heart to heart discussion because like you said as your parent you're just trying to figure it out and you screw up a lot yeah. and I was apologizing to him because I, I yelled at him and I was, just, I was, I was not proud of my parenting and, and he said to me something like I'm sorry for being a jerk and I said wait a sec." You're, you know, he's young. I'm like, you're yep. not a jerk. No, 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 no. My overreaction isn't you. That's my problem. Yeah. And just, you know, like, there's kids' minds. They're so, like you said, malleable, and they need, they need, like, they need that structure and that direction. And so.
1: Well, and when you're when you're a teenager, you are you're naturally trying to become independent. Yeah. And but you don't know how. Sure. And that's that's it. Is there's this draw to try to be try to adult and if you if you get exposed to some of the wrong things I think at certain times um, making choices like drinking or using drugs or having sex or different things like that seem like adult choices sure to a young mind to fast forward yes that. and it doesn't because if you don't have the sure. skills you don't have the yeah. knowledge and the understanding to you know, the boundaries, the different things that you have to build to become an adult, and you're exposed to some of those things, you can trick yourself and you can tell yourself, Oh, well, especially drugs and, and alcohol and stuff, because they make you feel so good, it's a counterfeit feeling towards life, right? You're supposed sure. to be going through life, building connections and relationships and 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 failing and fixing your failures and doing those things. And that's where that sense of purpose and accomplishment and identity is supposed to come from. But if you add a chemical into your body that tricks your your mind and your system into thinking, well, this is... Everything's good. This is way better than... This is the best I've ever felt. I could skip all that stuff. Yeah, in those yeah. moments, then you don't build that. You don't, you don't spend the time building that character yeah. and those things. And so a lot of those components were at play in, in my life. And I, I was intelligent, you know, too smart for my own good, I think, in some ways, yeah. right? It, it, that can be... That can work against you because I would get away with this or get away with that I would I feel you like I had outsmarted certain things and then that would reinforce that behavior to me and that became you know kind of a way of life in those teenage years uh the partying you know everybody experiments everybody messes around with stuff everybody you know tries different things and I remember there being multiple times where um close friends of mine you know they would they'd have a bad experience with a party or doing something like that. And, you know, 180-degree change, right? they they get back on track and say, that's not for me anymore, this, that, or the other. And that happens, you know, I, I think that's normal for everybody at that age when you're hitting 16, 17, 18 years old. People are trying this, doing that, trying to figure out what they want to do, and the, your paths start to, you know, they, they start to diverge. And for me... Rather than getting with the picture as I watched friends become more responsible and start pursuing things like college or careers or, you know, family or other things like that, right? Um, I just kept on partying. And so what happens in that case for me and and what I recognize today is that the responsible influences, even if they were just small or whatever, start to leave your life because they're like, I'm not going to do what you're doing, Mm -hmm. you know, and and instead of that being a, a warning sign to me, I didn't I didn't get it I didn't sure. get that at the time and so as those influences move on with their life and they're doing bigger bigger better things with themselves I'm kind of left with the people that share the same habits as me yeah. and oftentimes the people that I would buy drugs from or, or that I didn't really even have any connection with other than that drug thing they started to fill those gaps right sure. and then the behaviors that they had there was a lot of, of criminal behaviors and a lot of other things and so you start getting exposed to the other people's habits you know one of my Mantras today, and one of the things that I always remind myself and remind other people that I'm mentoring is you are the sum total of the people you spend your time with. And that, you, that was rolling around in my head. I've heard that so much lately. That's yeah. so true.
0: The people you what is it, the five people you surround yourself with, yeah. that's how you're gonna think. Yeah, that's how
1: you're gonna behave. You want to so you want to see who you are, you yeah. get like who you spend your time with. Yeah. And then because they will they will either correct you if you're, if you're in, a, in the wrong place or they'll keep, let you keep doing what you're doing yeah. depending on, you know, where they're at. or yeah. whatever. And so that was, so you true. know, in the, in the early 20s. Um, so did you graduate high school then? I did graduate high so, school by the, by, the, just really? by the skin of my teeth. So yeah. you're, you're going into high school with 4.0 and then just... Probably on. about junior year, dropped off. I think I graduated with a 2.0. Wow. You know, and uh, actually moved out of my mom's house when I was 17 you know, there was, there was things where did she, she kick you out or no, she, she did not kick me out. That was my, you just said I'm, I'm out. Yeah. My desire to not do what she wanted me to do. I didn't want to do, I didn't want to be told what to do. I didn't want anybody, yeah. you know, that juvenile arrogance oh. and 16 years old, uh, you know, one of the disciplinary actions she tried to do with me and trying to get my behavior back together was I'm not going to help you buy a car. So to me that she said, you're going to have to figure it out yourself. So I did and I tricked not tricked, but I, I manipulated one of my friend's dads into co-signing a loan for me and you know I pulled in my mom's driveway in a in a new sports car and said "Look I don't need you and it wow. was shortly thereafter that I told her I'm moving out of your house yeah. moved into an apartment with a couple of buddies of mine and just absolutely no supervision no you know and, and, and that fell apart real quickly it just. Sure. You know escalated everything so you can see all these different components that are that are coming into play and I'm my own worst enemy because I'm just not listening to sound advice right I'm gonna figure it out for myself and and so early 20s most of the responsible influences in my life have walked away or I've pushed them away with my own behaviors those types of things Um, I've decided I'm just gonna work you know, rather than going to college, I think I did a semester of college. And I had dreams. There were things that I wanted to do with, with myself. Uh, very creative person. I wanted to get into the realm of, like, advertising and stuff. And just dipped my toe in the water at college. But decided I'm going to just go work a job in construction. Um, because the, the dollar amount on the check was more important to me than the investing in my future. Sure. Right? So sure. I found a job where I was making more money. Than, than the other people my age because they were busy doing other things with themselves. They're, they're building their and yeah. I I would boast yeah. you know boast about that and build my own ego and so just starting to go yes. down this path of immediate gratification and and then the partying just continued um, and that starts to unwind you know the the obviously I already have some lack of character in a lot of ways that are just natural to it but when you add the drugs and the alcohol. It just erodes whatever you've got left anyways because just because you have to justify or yeah I am I'm not a believer that drugs and alcohol make you a bad person but I do believe that they they will you know just exaggerate any problems that you have right sure and so my underlying problems were just gas gasoline on a fire right yeah and So I get into the criminal stuff like I said, you know, I'm spending a lot of time with people that are involved in criminal behaviors I would kind of is this to fund so you could do the it, some of it is some you're, of it you're is working on, too, right? Yeah, I'm, I'm working instructions. Yeah, you said? Yep. yep but that's slowly starting to unwind itself because I'm not showing up to work on time the yeah. other things are you know my my mind is scattered all the time because of the drugs I'm on and and I'm I'm not performing I'm not doing that stuff and I start to want to spend more time running the streets, doing that stuff rather than, you know, go in and work a eight to 12 hour day at work and then, you know, party at night, then, then the partying at night starts to chip into the day. And then before you know it, you're, you're not reliable, you're, you're getting in confrontations, you're doing certain things. So before long, your priorities shift, employment no longer becomes important to you. At least that's what yeah. it was for me. That, and so you have to find a way to support the habit you have to find a way to put money in your pocket, mm-hmm. all these different things, and I'm surrounded by people that do it in devious ways. Yeah. And so I, I look at them and I go, Well, if this guy can do it, I can definitely do it and start yeah. delving into that world of you know, petty theft and breaking into people's cars or, you know, stuff like that that, that eventually leads into like felonious behaviors that mm-hmm. you know, and, and that brings with it a new addiction is this rush, right? This adrenaline rush. Mm-hmm. Of that criminal lifestyle and so basically all I've become now is just somebody that is based my my choices and my purpose is based completely off some form of stimulation you know whether it's drugs or the whether rush it's of adrenaline yeah exactly whether it's uh, you know feeling like I've got some kind of reputation from these people that are just you know not living good lives. sure, sure. And so that's, that, that becomes my story. And in my early 20s, start having the run-ins with the law. And uh, 20, I want to say 22 years old, get arrested for the first time, um, end up going to jail for, you know, a brief period. And And I didn't come from a background where, you know, parole or probation or people that had been in trouble, that was never a part of my family life or really any of the friendships that I had growing up, you know, very school, maybe there was somebody in high school that his cousin got in trouble for something but but that wasn't a part of my life so I get introduced to the criminal justice system at this point did and, you uh, so that first time arrested did you call your mom and say of hey, course can you bail me out of course you know was I mean? she um, like
0: okay I'll come um or what was because you'd moved
1: out five years yep. previous right yep and I had so, done that I had done the move out come back move out you yeah. know just just life a wreck just yeah. different little things where and so mom has always been there for me. She's, she's, you know, in some ways, uh, looking back now, enabled enabled some of my stuff. Um, but, yeah, of, of course, mom's always the first call. Anybody that goes to jail, mom or the first significant goal. other is always yeah. the first call. Hey, come get me out of this jam I got myself in.
0: Which I think, you know, especially for single moms, it's it's like, you know, even though yeah, you use the word enabling, it's like they get such a raw deal you know they're working their tails off they're trying to manage that and yet you know and they're just they just love you so much they're trying to help and you know what I mean yeah she you know her
1: goal was always I just I just want him to survive I don't want him to die I don't want him to you know make more poor choices but she's never had to deal with this she's never had to deal with like she never had to be bailed out or no. there's no history of that yes. in your family. It's yeah. like, wait, what? Yeah, I'm, how do these pieces work? I to the police department, bailing out. Yeah. And so, you know, Mom, um, I think she did bail me out the first time um, and I was right back to it, you know, right back to the things that I, that I was doing and they just increased and increased. And I was the kind of guy that it wasn't like I'd do a little bit here of something, you know, uh, whether it be drugs mm-hmm. or it be criminal behavior. It was like I would go all in. I was <laughs> yeah. like I was uh that's just uh, that's, how I am too. Yeah, that's, that's like just I'm the all way in. my life yeah. is. Um mm. I remember I you know, go big or go home was always a thing and I, I remember having a, a a woman tell me one time, you know, that's the way you live your life and sometimes you just need to go home. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and so that that was it. Crime spree. It turned into how, how much can I do to outsmart this and that? And then it just became a way of life. Uh, so by the time I'm I'm 23, I have felony charges. I've started into the probation system. I've spent time in jail, you know, whether it was, I want to say the first time in jail was probably a couple of weeks, then out for a couple of weeks, then back in for a year, then out for a month or two. I think the after I did a year in jail, one of the first times I, I took off, I was supposed to be... Probation. I took off on the run and was a fugitive and just doing this, just nightmare lifestyle. And and, and let me step back to once you get exposed to the criminal justice system and you get put into jail, jail is not. Jail is not really designed, at least the way that we have it set up now. There's there's definitely programs and there's different things that they have going on where their their intent is to try to help people get their lives together and do something different, but really. The only purpose that jail does serve that I think it is it keeps the community safe from the people that are in the jail, and I think that's a necessary thing. But what's going on inside of there is just a master's program in criminal behavior because you go in there and you're learning more. Yeah, and it's oh. not it's not you you learn you know what are the rules of the street that you got to live by. What are the rules inside of this jail that you've got to live by? Uh, you learn how to be manipulative you learn how to get what you want from within a very confined space right like you've got nothing really coming in jail but you figure out the loopholes and you figure out the different things and you've got guys that have spent decades of their life locked up in jail and prison teaching you the ropes of how it's going to be and and so it really is just like a you know an Ivy League criminal mm. camp you know let's let's accelerate what you've already been doing wow and so that I've never was never
0: heard that before, but it makes sense. Yeah, you.
1: you know, and, and that's not to say everybody. Some people go sure. over to jail, right? They they made a bad choice. They end up in there for a weekend. They say, "Man, that was stupid." But that's by and large not not how it's how it goes, yeah. you know. Especially when you have addiction and you have other things like that. And so that just expounded, and, and I, I think at that point I had to, I identified myself as I am a, I'm a criminal. I am a lost cause. I am somebody who is going to squeeze whatever I can out of life at whatever cost it is to those around me. I don't care. It's all about, it's all this world's a hard, you know, all just, just these very juvenile teenage thoughts, but now in a grown man's body of I'm going to show the world type yeah. stuff. And so that, that continued on, you know, I got opportunities to go into different programs and things as like, let's try to get you on track because a lot of times, uh, Judges, cops, um, probation officers, they would see something in me that they said, you know, you've got potential. You could be so much bigger than what you're doing. And there are, but their hands were tied, too, because I'd continue to make the same poor decisions. And so they have to, you know, so I I did inpatient treatment programs. I did a drug court program. I, I did all this. And never in any of those times was I ever, like, honest with myself or honest with anybody around problems that I have I'd be a victim in the moment that it would suit me and then I would be the villain in another moment when it would suit me and I would just figure out what that was because I hadn't spent any time building my character and building a life for myself so I played that game you know that was the that was the situation I had put myself in and I wasn't really figuring out a way to get out of it I ended up in uh, prison for the first time when I was 26 uh, 26 27 years old in, in prison did about three years got out for a few months went back in for a year got out for a couple months went back in for a couple of years you know and each one of these things is just another criminal spree after another you know until you become uh, a known person in your area right so I'm, I'm ravaging the, the community around me I'm just involved in all kinds of stuff so in 2015 I was out of prison uh, for the fourth time same behavior, same stuff just just living this self-centered hedonistic just ugly lifestyle and end up picking a whole bunch of new charges up uh, and with my record and, and where you know the way I'd live my life, uh, I was looking at probably going to prison for the next 10 or 15 years. So before we go forward,
0: yeah
1: <laughs> so now you're 30 something I would have been I would have
0: been about 35 years old at this point. you're 35. You've talked about kind of in and out of jail and everything else. What about personally? Did you had you developed loves? You know, had you oh, developed sure. relationships. I mean, there was that,
1: relationships, but to call it love would yeah. be would be a, a serious disrespect to what the word what I know the word sure. love to be today. Okay. Um, they were codependent, they were dysfunctional relationships, we yeah. were people that used one another for what we were doing. They were you know, when you're when you're when you love somebody you protect them uh-huh. you don't bring chaos and pain and uh, you know danger into their life that's that's what love is and and I that's what all the things that I brought into relationships with me whether that was an intimate relationship with a woman or whether that was friendships that I had you know uh, loyalty to me was you know don't mess with what you do you I'll do me don't mess with what I go got going on, yeah. and I won't mess with what you go got going on. And so it was totally upside down, and it was twisted, and it was it was dysfunctional. Um, did you have any kids in this time? I did not, uh-huh. at least none that I know of. Yeah. So, you okay. know, I put it that way. Yeah. Uh, so I, I didn't have any children, and and that was you know probably a blessing for anybody that would have been my child. Sure. Um, I have you know I talked to earlier that I'm I'm doing a parent thing today. I'm a stepdad. Today mm. to a teenager, so wow. And but no, I didn't. And and I also contributed to many mothers and fathers and brothers sisters. I, I, I contributed to the downfall of many families with my behavior. I became a drug dealer. I became involved in. I would be okay with, um, you know, people that that were in. Compromised situations that are on welfare and stuff like that I'd be all right with taking their money from them and using it for what I wanted to stealing that out of their kids mouth You know that they're they're not taking care of their children well anyways, and I'm contributing to that I'm reinforcing that so it was just an ugly just an ugly lifestyle, you know and 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 it's crazy when you live in a particular lifestyle You think that that's how the world works, Mm -hmm. you know, I remember I remember being in prison and that becomes your there's a belief system in there you know there's there's that belief system that that is prevalent in there you buy into it you you take it on and you tell yourself that's how the world works and i remember having a an eye-opening moment one day as i was reading through statistics about like i'm like i'm curious how many people in the united states because you always hear the united states is let's send everybody to prison thing yeah so i wanted to look up some statistics about you know how many people actually go to prison out of Population in the United States, and it's like less than one percent. It's like a it's a fraction of one percent of oh. of the country. So I, you know, I, if that's the statistics, yeah. whatever. But that's what it was. And it dawned on me right there in that moment. And this was kind of one of those times where I was trying to do something different with myself. So I was I was trying to take in information that would be beneficial to that. And I was like, wow, man, I've really I've modeled the way that I see the world and how I think things are. Off of a mindset that is shared by less than 1% of the population and I've told myself that's reality wow. so you know that and that's I think that's a common thing with people they get caught up in different belief systems and different things is like you think that the way you see it is how everybody is sees how yes yeah, so or how it is and that's just not so reality. You know? I think it's the, the same with
0: religion I think it's the same yeah, with everything. politics, politics everything, everything. Everything. You, everything you see the world through your glasses and I think it's interesting for you when you're saying that because even you know you're you're obviously a very intelligent uh, you know even your analytic your analytical thought process is like I'm gonna do some research on the data <laughs> you know <laughs> who's in prison and yeah anyway it just yeah it speaks to it speaks it speaks to it's it's like one of those things where I'm, when I'm listening to you I'm like you know what uh, I guess it, it doesn't matter how smart you are that these things can get a hold of any of us. Yeah, you know what I mean? You've got to get it's out of like, your own way.
1: You're yeah. like, if, even if you're smart, if you're yeah. your intelligence, intelligence, wealth, you know, genetics, any of any of these things that are kind of like you didn't get to create, they are just you maybe something you're born into yeah. or something that you, by whatever stroke of luck you've landed in or stroke of being unlucky, I guess, yeah. either way. Really none of those factors will define your life. What I've found is that it's character, your 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 presence of character or your lack thereof. Huh. Really, you know, you can take any of these things. You could, you know, that's that's what my life has taught me. So, uh, character is what determines. And how do you define? How do you define character? Um, I think I think character is, you know, character. Well, my one of my good friends, Dave. You know, yeah. you know, Dave Durocher. Yeah. He, he put it one way. If you, have, if you have character, nothing else matters. And if you mm. don't have character, nothing else matters. Huh. And so it's, you know that's just kind of a cliche. That doesn't explain yeah. it very well. But, but character is the driving force behind what do you do. What do you do in moments of ease? What do you do in moments of hard times? What do you do? Uh, what do you do? What, mm. what is it that you... You are willing to do, whether that be sacrifice, whether that be courage, whether that be, you know, uh, charity. Right? Those are all those are positive things that I'm sure. listing off there. Or is it? Am I going to be greedy? Am I going to be duplicitous? Am I yeah. right? So all of these factors lie in. So I think yeah. the character is is who. So the character, all the positive attributes. Lack of character is yeah. The what do you believe? How much do you believe it? Why do you believe it? And what are you gonna do with that belief, right? Like, yeah. and I think that character is that filter that that's pushed through. Sure. I mean, for me, I'm not a religious man. I'm not, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I wouldn't say I'm an atheist. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say I'm, I'm not of any particular faith, but I have, I have a spiritual faith in the world around me, in us as a human race, yeah. in these different things that really gives me purpose. I believe there's right and wrong I believe that there's good and evil yeah. you know and, and when you start getting into over analyzing some of these things and, and and permissing behaviors that are evil in your life and you know shaming behaviors that are good and vice versa you know you can get in this really ugly place yeah and I, I fear you know our world today is, is, is caught up in a lot of that stuff it's hard today you know to make sense of what's right what's wrong you know these different things and I think each person has to determine that for themselves but if you don't have some kind of faith in, and again I'm not speaking religious sure. faith in something bigger like sure. there's a reason for yeah. there there is good there is bad there's right there's wrong yeah. when you start telling yourself well right and wrong is all subjective right yeah. that's when you get into a dangerous place and that's where I lived for a long time yeah. so I think that's where character comes from is is the definition of that of of what is what is your driving force, right? So you're uh,
0: you're at this point where you're saying uh, fourth time, your fifth time, fifth I'm headed time. back. You're heading back, heading back for the fifth time. Yeah. So, so I have a feeling we're going to be introduced to the other side academy. right like, So tell me, yeah, tell me about that. What, so, what happens next? I
1: mean, I am at my rock bottomless. Um, Like I said, it's that that part of me that was my soul or whatever you want to call it that was raised to know right and wrong yeah I've lived against that for such a long period of time and and not to say that it's been a non-stop just I'm an evil person yeah but that was the majority of my choices for sure but there were moments of time in there sure. where I wanted to do something different and I would attempt to do something different uh, but I never really understood what it was going to take mm-hmm. you know it was going to take everything that I, I had to basically recreate myself and yeah. I didn't have I wasn't ready for that and so, at this point where I'm, I'm ready to, I'm getting ready to head back to prison. Um, everything, all my past choices, my reputation, the things that I've done, my actions, excuse me, have caught up to me, and it's time to face the music, right? Mm-hmm. Like this is, this is it. And and not only that, not only just the consequences of the legal system or the community is like we've had enough of you, but the, the inside of myself, the self-deception that I've pulled on myself for so many years of living against that which I know was the right way to live has eaten away at me you know and there was this it felt like whatever light was inside of me was about to be extinguished you know just this dark place that I was at and I remember I was in jail and I'm going through the legal process of you know am I gonna fight these charges try to get them down to whatever you know just and, and I know you don't understand because you haven't been in those positions. You've lived a, a pretty responsible life. But there's this, you know, this game where you're trying to sidestep accountability and how can I shoot some loopholes and how can I do this or that? And, and the real you knows that, like, I'm guilty of all this and more, but I've got to try. I'm, I want to mitigate this. I want to just give me a second chance. God, if you can get me out of yeah. out of this, right, I'll do something different. And I'd send that hundreds of times. Anyway, so I'm, I'm in jail. Um, you know, I'm sharing with a cellmate of mine, you know, my story, my situation, what's going on. And he says, well, man, I, I just heard about it. He goes, it sounds like you're screwed, dude. It sounds like you're screwed, you know. And I'm like, yeah. And he goes, but I, I heard about this place that had just opened in Salt Lake City. Hmm. And and this is probably maybe two months after the Academy had, had started here. So it was 2015? 2015, yeah. And he says, it's like, it's this place that's like some last chance. Like it's for habitual offenders. It's for guys that are like career criminals. And it's run by a bunch of ex-convicts, you know. And it's like, it's like this last shot opportunity for people. You know, and he goes, sounds like something for you. And, I, and I'm like, well, what is it? And he's like, I don't even know what the name of it is. He, he didn't know. It was, you know, oh. this brand new thing. And so it just, that kind of sat on the back of my mind. And he went to court one day, you know. And so, and so this is a period of time. This is over a few months that we are cellmates together and 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 he comes back from court and he goes, hey, that place I was telling you about, it's called the Other Side Academy. So I reach out to my mom and, and say, hey, can you check on this place and see what it takes? And I'm talking to my attorney and they present this to the prosecutor and the prosecutor's like, no, we're not giving you any more chances. We're not, you're done. You know what I mean? You, you're at the point now where you can either take this plea deal that we're giving you and go with that which was not looking good. That was 10 or 15 years. Or you can try to fight some of this stuff, and what you may be able to get beat because of some legal loopholes or whatever, the rest of the stuff, we're going to lay you down for. So, either way, we've got you. We're done. We're done messing around with you. Yeah. And. Man, yeah, it's got to be such a uh, devastating I mean, feeling. I mean, I was physically, your, your like, there was, I was going through physical health issues yeah. due to the stress and, yeah. uh, and just the. The stuff that I had put myself into, you know. Yeah. It was not the prosecutor's fault. It's not the judge's fault. It's not the police. It was me. I had created yeah. this situation for myself once again. And so whatever happened was just like, I, you know, it's a lot to get into. But there was just like one circumstance after another where certain things just lined up. And I was given this opportunity to go to the Other Side Academy. Like it was... I. I I'll just briefly touch on it. So I'm, I'm at the point where I'm gonna take this to jury trial, this case that I have, because I'm like, I'm just gonna do what I have to do. My attorney's telling me, you know, we can beat a couple of these things, but it's not, it's not looking, looking good, good. Oh. but we'll do what you wanna do. And I'm just, in my head, trying to figure out how I'm gonna do this. And right in the middle of that, I mean, I think we were actually going in the next day or so to set up jury selection. And my attorney tells me, hey, the prosecutor on, that was on this case gone to another county and they're bringing in another guy and the academy thing had already been shot down and, and I'm, I'm like what somewhere a light bulb goes off in my head when he tells me this and they changed the prosecutors. And I said well why don't we ask him about the academy and he says they already said no and I, I said yeah but you said it's a new prosecutor right and he goes yeah and I said I feel like you should ask him Wow. You know, so it was like just one of these moments. Something's telling me. And it's not your legal counsel that's telling you that you're just you're Yeah, just like, my legal I counsel was should, even like. We should s- ask again. He said, you know what? If that's what you want me to do, I'll walk over to the district attorney's office right now and ask him. He says, but I don't think it's going to happen. So he, he did. He left me in the jail and the visit goes over there and he comes back. They pull me back in and he says, I asked him. And he said, he'll, he'll do it under one agreement that you're going to plead guilty to everything that you've been charged with. So this is your last shot. Basically, the prosecutor had sent somebody to this academy before, somebody similar to me that had a very long criminal record, um, and the guy had split, and they had done the same kind of deal, that you're done if you do this. And so, kind of on a roll of the dice, on a bet from the prosecutor that I was gonna fail, they gave me the opportunity to go to the other side academy. Well, and so that's when I got a second chance. You know, that gamble that the prosecutor was willing to take blew my mind. And so so literally, I went from this just end of my life. I'm going to rot in prison. I'm going to be one of these old men that dies in there. And I've, I've seen them. You know, I've seen the the case of, you know, here I am. I'm approaching my 40s at this time. I've already spent 11 years of my life locked up. I know that if I go in here at this time, I'm. this is going to be it. I'm just... Not that I'll die on this stay or anything like that, but I've watched. I are, I know I'm I'm aware enough that this this is, you're not getting back out of it at this point. I go into this for, I'm getting out when I'm in my late 40s. I'm not doing anything different with my life. The, the ship has sailed, the chance to do something different is, it's gone, it's gone. And so here it is, I get that chance, right? And so overnight, Dave DeRocher, the director of the Other Side Academy, he's coming to pick me up. And I have no idea what I'm getting myself into. All I know is that I just got out of a prison sentence, that I can't believe that this just happened. And the unfortunate thing with somebody like me or a drug addict is we're very quick to forget the amazing stroke of luck that just saved our life, right? And so... I come to the academy, and the academy is a two-year program that is based off of behavior modification. It's based off of we're going to change the character thing that I talked yeah. about. We're going to yeah. we're going to help you build a character. We're going to help you yeah. uh, fix the problems that have created your problems. And, you know, it's not drugs and alcohol that are your problem. It's not um, you know lack of employment. It's not any of these things. It's the fact that you're a liar. You're a cheat, you're a thief, you're a manipulator, you have no accountability, um, you're self-centered, all of those things, that's your problem. And so that's what the academy's mindset is. And the academy is run by ex-convicts and ex-drug addicts that have been through the same exact rope that you have. And, and what we do is it's a therapy. They thera- know your games. Yeah, it's a they therapeutic community, and they've, yeah. and they've put their life together. So it's really yeah. hard to come in and you know, a doctor, a counselor, a clinician, you know, you, you can learn the answers that you give them to check the box and you can play the victim and you can say, oh, but this happened to me when I was young. And you know, all these reasons, which that's not to say that those situations or things that happen to people throughout their life don't help guide the path that they get on. Sure. But at the end of the day, you're you're responsible for your choices. Yeah. Because there's people in this world that have had the worst things in the world happen to them and they've turned into the greatest people. And there's people that have had their life handed to them and on a silver platter and they've turned into the worst people. And there's everything in between, yeah. right? So to say yeah. that this causes this or that yeah. causes that is really negligible. Uh. Our personal choices cause it. So that's what the academy does. We focus on yeah. right here in the moment, right here, right now, this, this choice you're about to make is going to have a ripple effect through life and, and let's fix that. So when you come to the academy, you're... We basically told this is a second chance on life. We don't care what you did before you got here. We don't care where you came from. We don't care what got you here. What we care about is what you're gonna do right now. And that's a really hard position for somebody who has anybody really. It doesn't just have to be a criminal person or anybody. It's very hard for somebody to do an immediate 180 on their choices, right? right? Sure. And, And it doesn't happen overnight. Like you're corrected over and over again. You're asked not to talk about your past when you come to the academy. Because and the reason for that is we want to we want to give you a fresh start. We want you to start right now. We want you to display the behaviors that you have with you so that we can take those apart and we can fix them. Mm. Um, You know, drug addicts, drug deal. You know, it's always the fish was this big. I was doing. You know, this is how much money I had. It's everything's been retold and. And this identity and these stories just regurgitated over and over again for years until they've gotten twisted beyond all belief. They're over-exaggerated or they're minimized to the damages or the, the reality of it. It's just a self-serving story. And so if you eliminate that story from somebody being able to talk about, you immediately have to teach them how to start talking about new things. And that's that's an interesting process, you know. Interesting. Yeah. And so that's, that's one of those things, you're, you're asked to be accountable um, at the academy, which is to say that we, we have this principle called 200% accountability. And what that means is I'm 100% accountable for my actions, but I'm also 100% accountable for your actions, right? We're sitting in this room wow. together. So if you're doing anything that you shouldn't be doing that could harm you, could harm me, could harm anyone around us that is below the expectations of what we're trying to do, and I don't speak up or say something to you about it, I don't correct you, and I don't bring it to light, then I'm just as guilty of that action as you are. So you can imagine teaching some ex-convicts and drug addicts to start looking at life this way, right? Yeah, it's a whole new way. It's a whole new way. And it's, it's, it's even like a higher way than most people in just the regular yeah. world live. So needless to say, there's some growing pains, there is some you know, serious shifts that you have to make as a person, and that's why the Academy is two years long. It's two years minimum. You can stay as long as you want yeah. to. Um, I remember I went to one of the graduation
0: ceremonies uh, at that church right by the other side of the Academy mm-hmm. on um, Seventh East. And, um, and Joseph Granny got up and said, uh, he just said, you know, the, the, the talking about kind of that 200% accountability. I didn't hear him say 200%, but he was just talking about how, you know, it's a, there's this delicate, um, I can't remember what he said, uh, well, image we have, or there's a delicate. It's uh, fragile. It's fragile. It's fragile. This culture, this, uh, this thing we have, and he's like, you know, the Other Side Academy, uh, can you can destroy what we've built in one day, you in can. one action. And we've put all this time and effort to building this and like it's it's so anyway that just rung a bell when you talked about two hundred percent. And those billion. are those
1: are the principles and those are the things that, that you can overlook easily in life, right? You, it can take a lifetime
0: yeah. to
1: build a, you know, if you want to talk about business. Yeah. Or you wanna talk about a you know a career or or dreams that you've wanted to realize. You could spend decades yeah. to a lifetime building something and you can destroy it all in a moment with a choice.
0: Yeah.
1: And so reinforcing yeah. that into into people like us who haven't really given much thought to the consequences of her choices not only for ourselves you know i did a lot of damage to myself in my life and i caused myself a, a lot of pain with my choices mm-hmm. but nowhere near the amount of pain i caused other people around me mm-hmm. that were completely innocent of that yeah you know and and i was un- i don't want to say i was unaware of it but i was i did not give it the gravity sure. that it that it deserved sure <clears throat> And so I came to the Academy and I'm, I'm learning all these new principles of, or, or, you know, being reminded and re-educated on what matters in life, the, the, the priorities and there's expectations that if you're going to live here at the Academy, these are the, this is the way you're going to live. And there's not a lot of like real gentle, oh, well, you'll get it when you yeah. do. Our belief at the Academy is we're going to throw you right into it. We're going to ask you to, to live by the same standards that people that have been here for years have been living by. And we know you're going to bump your head along the way, but we're not going to baby you and say, oh, it's okay, you'll figure it out. We're going to hold you to that same expectation immediately from the get-go. Because, and, and I think it's very effective because that's the only way you're actually going to learn it. Yeah. You're, either going to, you're either going to say, okay, this is important to me. I want to do this differently. I know I'm going to butt my head against this a few different times, and, but, it, but it matters to me. I'm going to stick around and I'm going to walk through that fire that it takes to change these things, or I'm going to leave do the same thing I've always done and that's the Academy it's an open-door
0: yeah policy you can can leave anytime you want of course in your case who knows what's yeah who knows what's on the other side of that door for you so I've I've talked to a few members of the other side Academy and it seems like they get into the other side Academy it's like oh I'm gonna okay I just got to do this crap I got to be in here for two years and then I can go do what I want to do was that your case and if it was what point did it switch to where you really Absorbed
1: and believed what, what was going on there and you're like, you know what? This is I'm gonna do this for me That was my mindset. So I came in there, you know Basically, they had just got me out of a prison sentence So I was like I'll do whatever they want me to do to to beat this prison sentence But I've already got my game plan in place. I'm, I'm just gonna quit using drugs I'm gonna quit doing these couple of things. I'm gonna do you know do this two years and get on with my life. Well Little did I know that I would be you know, living this lifestyle that they're doing there, and it would start to have an effect on me. Now, I was no angel when I got there. I didn't immediately take off with, with believing this stuff. Um, I, I always thought, when I first got there, I remember thinking, I'm like, this is, is this like a cult or something? Is this like mm-hmm. like everybody here's, you know, yeah. they're being so respectful to each other? And I'm like, these are all I know. Yeah. Some of these people from before. This yeah. isn't who they are. Uh-uh. And so I, I, you know, I would I would poke holes in in how things were. Um, I had a convict mentality when I got there, so I would seek out other people that maybe weren't hundred percent about change. And there it is, there's that you are the people that you spend your time with. So I had a, what I call a dirt magnet, right? Like I can find the dirtiest people real quick. Uh, and, and so I would, I would go through the motions of what was being asked of me. I, I had done enough programming and I had done enough rehabilitation stuff to know okay what are your the I can jump through hoops I can do that but this was deep this was like deeper intrinsic things that they wanted you to change about yourself and you're surrounded by other people just like you that are holding you to this level so it's it's you you can manipulate it you can twist it you can do whatever but it's only a matter of time until it exposes itself the things about you that you need to change and so i had done some things when i first got there one of them being that i maintained contact with Uh, my girlfriend that I came into to this situation with you know we'd made these undying promises that we were gonna stick it out for each other just this garbage but one of the things at the academy is you're gonna you're basically gonna break ties with all your old relationships you're not gonna be allowed to speak to them that includes family members children different things you're gonna you're gonna put all that stuff on hold while you go through this process And, and I took advantage of times when I got out of the house or had some responsibilities and I called her which was against the rules, and I had done that multiple times, um, and so that was a secret that I held. And one of the things that the academy asks is that when you make a poor choice or you make a bad decision, let's put it out in the light of day. There's going to be some consequences for your choices. You're gonna, but but you owning it and you saying it for what it is and doing that, you can fix it. Well, I. It took, me a, it took me some hard learning to get to that point. So I was effective in the academy as far as I would show up to work. I would, I would bust my butt. I would, I, I, would give, I would give my all when it was asked of me. But there were things that I had done, like the, the girlfriend and the, and the secret conversations that I'd had with people that we just aren't to the level. We ask for, yeah. be, the, be as perfect as you can try to be. Try to be perfect. We'll never achieve perfection, but try to get there. And when you hold on to stuff and you do things, you you live below that. So I had kept secrets for other people. I had little secrets, you know. And I would continue to hide them instead of bringing them out into the light of day. And so there was things that I was doing well at, that I was achieving, that I was doing whatever. But there was, I never gave it all the way through. And so that would come out over and over again. And... I would say at about 18 months into, the, into it, I had started to buy into this process. I had started to see changes in myself. I had started to have my eyes really open to some things that needed to be different about my life. But those secrets that I had from early on in my stay, sure. rather than just coming forward and saying, look, I want to be a, a totally new person. I did some of these things while I was you know, early on. My pride and my ego and my arrogance, wouldn't allow me I wanted to continue to feel good but I didn't want to be completely honest and so I buried him I figured I'd I'd sweep this under the carpet and I can just move on nobody has to know about it I don't have to take the shine off my apple and I'll just move on it's like it never happened that's just not how life works your your past if you don't face it will always catch up to you and so at about 18 months I had decided I'm going to stay here longer than the two years so you know you brought up most of the guys yeah. show up there and say two years I'm out yeah. well and that's how I was I was very vocal about it I was very yeah. like thank you for giving me this opportunity to not go back to prison but I'm done when I'm done and I got my own thing going on yeah. and that had changed for me huh. I had started to see different things and so those secrets came out through a circumstance of I had to hold boundaries with somebody um, you, it's hard to hold boundaries with a with another person to tell them hey you're living below what you are when you have skeletons in your yeah, closet." yeah right? when they know yeah and when they or know, even, and, and even if they don't know you but, know yeah and so the greatest yeah. thing that came out of this was a guy vindictively because I had to hold some boundaries with him at work about what we were doing you know basically said who are you to tell me screw you I'm gonna go you know tell them what you've done and that moment was hard for me because I had grown to love the place I had grown to build some new relationships in my life I had no contact with really people from my past um you know, so I kind of built this new life for myself and I had made, I had made grievous enough mistakes that I knew that this was going to be a serious issue. And there was a moment where I I thought about leaving, you know, I, I kind of weighed my options out and I said, at this point, I probably would have not been in any legal trouble. I had completed most of the program. I could probably swing it. You know, the uh, probation officers were happy with what I'd been doing, the judges, stuff like that. S- but... But it was one of those moments that was really a crossroads and I had to say to myself, what do I want to do? Do I want to face this music here and fix this? Or do I want to just continue going on doing what I'm doing? And Dave, you know, had expressed to me, he said, look man, you have so much potential. You have so much, you know, to be something that you can be but you just can't get out of your own way. And Mm -hmm. if I let you graduate this program, having held on to these secrets that you kept this whole time, knowing, you know, he's like, You're no dummy. You know the amount of effort you had to put into being deceitful about these things and all these other stuff. If I let you complete this and say that you're good, I will I will have signed your death certificate. He said, So you have two options and this is about two years into the stay here, when I'm about to graduate, what would have been my graduation time, and I was gonna stay longer. Anyways, but Dave said you have two choices. You can either start over right now, from the beginning, go back, lose all the privileges, lose everything that you've done, or you can leave. Wow. And that's up to you. And I sat there, and and Dave is somebody that I had grown to just respect. You know, that that father figure that I told you I'd been looking for, and that authority figure that I respected. And I had seen enough now to know that he had my best interests at heart, and he what he was telling me was the truth. Not only that, Dave's an ex-convict that spent 25 years in prison. Yeah. He'd lived my life. Yeah. He'd done all he, these things. He he, he, and, and anybody that knows Dave, yeah. you know him very well. He's a, he's a powerhouse of a person. Well, I was going to say, you know, the, the
0: visual of Dave as a leader, he walks in the room. He, he could walk in the room with 100 people and he'd be like, that guy is a leader. Yeah, And you have that same quality and he
1: demands he demands he does that respect he he had he had gotten that from me
0: he'd earned it too yeah
1: and so here I was and I remember the moment he's telling me how disappointed he was in me and there was this, this look in his eyes that was the same look of every person in my life that I had disappointed over and over and over again you know um that had been my story, right? This story that I'm telling you is, it sounds like kind of like I was just this miscreant, but there was a lot of times where people had had faith in me, had put a lot of eggs in my basket and I had crushed them. And, and so this look in Dave's eyes was, was that genuine disappointment. You know, this wasn't just a guy that was, um, well, you really screwed up or whatever this, I had affected him and I, and I, it mattered to me. And I, I saw that look and I, I, Flash through everybody in my life that I had had that look in their eyes and right there in that moment I said I will never see that look in someone's eyes again. Wow. And I I said I'll stay here. I'll do it again. I'll do everything that I'm supposed to do and thank you for this opportunity wow. to change my life because you're absolutely thank right. Thank you for another two-year sentence but you're not looking. But it wasn't way. a sentence. You're no, like yeah.
0: this is something I know you're saying is right and I I want
1: to do this. Yes. Because and I'm I ready to, to invest in myself. Wow. That thing I should have done when I was 20 years old and other people weren't investing in themselves and wow. doing something. I, I knew that this it's is time. it. And I'm running out of time. I'm running out of time. Yeah. And so I did. I, I started over. I did the second stay. Um, I, I would say not flawlessly. I made mistakes, or, but nothing that was not easily fixable. I learned how to be accountable. I learned how to show up for other people. And I learned how to not make it about me but to make it about the bigger cause of what we're trying to do and to give other people the same opportunity that I had. And so, you know, at so after being there for about four years, I had expressed some things that I'd like to do. Um, I'd been basically a part of the academy almost since the start. And we were growing and we were, you know, just doors opening and things happening. You know, changing the community. and, And I saw that we needed somebody or, or, a group of people that would be in charge of all these facilities and you know creating this growth that we're doing that we could save some money that way and yeah. somebody's gonna have to monitor all this and, and so I asked if I could go get my general contractors license and we could start uh, a construction company as one of the social enterprises from the other side Academy not only to create generate revenue and create vocational training skills for the guys coming in but to also you know just maintain this massive infrastructure sure, that we've grown created so much yeah. and so after that time you know I, I I was told yeah you know what I mean you've proven yourself you've, you've, you're you a different man you're somebody that we can trust you're somebody that has integrity we'll back you you go and figure out what you need to do and we'll help you start this business you know and since then so that's been uh, three and a half years ago now that well I guess not three almost almost three and a that I started, you know, was was able to go get that contractor's license and, and start the other side builders. And so <laughs> that's one of our, our companies. And you're, you're you're running that now. Yeah, I'm the general manager of the other side builders. So I right. am you know the oversight of that. Uh, got thirteen guys that work on the crew. Um, that are all, you know, most of them are students. We have a, a couple of guys that are staff members that work as supervisors. You know, to make sure that the everything's being done. But we we've done we're a multi-million dollar operation we save the academy millions of dollars a year in repairs renovations yeah we've we have yeah given guys vocational training skills our guys walk out and they can that when they graduate the program we find them good jobs and most of the companies that we we get them not just not just the other companies you know like Dave's got relationships with so many people. That's one of our things. We yeah. get the guys jobs. We get them out there on their feet, yeah. doing their stuff. But the guys that, that tend to go get the construction jobs that have worked with us are just, they're highly sought after by the other yeah. the other, things. So it's, yeah, man, it's been awesome. I uh, I am engaged uh, to a woman that went through the Other Side Academy with me. We got there about the same time. Um, she's a staff member at the Other Side Village now. Uh, she was a staff member at the Academy and then. The villages, is our, our homeless, you know, initiative yeah. that we're trying to help the, with the homeless That's population. Awesome. And so she's working as a coach with that because she has a background in living that life. Uh, we brought her. He was thirteen at the time. He's he's sixteen now. Her her son that she had basically been absent from his life. Her parents had been raising him. Uh, we we have him in our life now. He's uh, he'll be starting his junior year of high school here in just a month or so. That's been an amazing experience. You know, there's nothing that'll teach you more about yourself than trying to raise a child. Yeah. Um, and so it's life is good today. I've been a part of an organization that's not only changing individual lives of people that have been broken, but we're making an effect in the community. Um, I have a purpose today. That purpose that I talked about, you know, chasing. I'm somebody that I know you can count on me today. Like that's the biggest thing in the world. I show up. Um, I used to be the guy that. I would either lie to get what I could out of you, or I would make commitments and then never keep them, you know, loose ends everywhere. I show up, I show up today. If I say I'm going to do something, I'll move heaven and earth to make it happen. And I'm surrounded by other people that share that same mindset. Mm-hmm. And together we're accomplishing just amazing things. I show up for my mom. My mom that stood by my side through prison sentence. A year, I mean, I don't know many how many hundreds of thousands of dollars she must have, put out of her her money and her time and the stress and everything for years to try to hope that I was going to make it out of there, and I'm there for her today. Mm-hmm. I don't ask a thing of her. Now I show up to say, what can I do for you, you know? And that's not an overnight process. That's a goal that a lot of people like us want to do, but it takes time. It takes time, and it takes patience, and it takes guidance and support, and it, and it takes uh, some serious soul searching no easy, quick fix, and it's a constant process. I'm not fixed today. Every day, I, I, I overcome a new set of challenges, and the next ones present themselves, right? Yeah. And uh, mm. so that's, I mean, that's it. That's that brings us up to present day. I meet guys like you. Uh, I met you years ago when, when you know, you guys did the suited for good program, and you 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 give people that are at a certain point in the program uh, a really nice suit. that was I remember that was just one of the things we looked forward to so much and being able to present ourselves as more than that broken person that we were uh, in professional situations I I still have the suit I wear it occasionally I have a number of other suits now because of how my life is gone but I I still have it and uh, it's it's been awesome man. because you do have to you do have to live up to the role that you want to be like who do I want to be I want to be professional, I want to be a guy that's taken seriously, I want to be somebody that that people can count on you know yeah. and, and having the outer covering to match the inner mm-hmm. is important but if you don't fix the inner first the outer doesn't matter, doesn't matter. at all.
0: <laughs> Jordan I am i was just blown away man I am so grateful for this opportunity to hear your story and I just I mean hopefully you're really proud. And hope, I, I bet your mom is so proud. And uh, I get emotional just hearing these stories and just feeling uh, so much gratitude for your willingness to share and and uh, just so many nuggets in here. Yeah, you know, I, I was telling Dylan, who I interviewed earlier today, um, that my, my 13-year-old boy started listening to these episodes and I, like, I want him to hear these things. I want him to hear where people have come from their triumphs and and these these lessons that you're giving are just
1: yeah they're invaluable I'm so grateful well and and you know that's the education people being able to hear that hey not only like if you choose certain things these are the action the consequences you'll get but also to hear hey maybe you've gotten these consequences and all hope isn't lost right it's there's just so many things that it can benefit like like you're saying a kid that's Maybe trying to decide what path am I going to walk in life? What are some of the things? But then also somebody who's maybe walked a, a yeah. path that they need to get back off of, and yeah. they don't know the way back. They didn't. They didn't leave their trail of bread breadcrumbs to get back. Yeah. You know. Well, Jordan,
0: such a pleasure. I'm again. I'm grateful that you'd come join us, and uh, and I hope. Uh, I hope just for these stories that we we get a lot of people to listen to this podcast so they can hear and learn. And yeah, super grateful. Can I plug
1: the other side Academy? Oh, please do. Please do. If there's anybody out there that, uh, you know, has, has a loved one or somebody that, you know, that's dealing with, uh, addiction issues. It's dealt with, you know, criminal recidivism, maybe dealing with homelessness or just, just those life issues that they have chronically not been able to get over. And you think that a, two-year uh, minimum commitment to a place that could help them really change their life, would benefit them, please feel free to get a hold of The Other Side Academy and, and set up an interview process. Um, you can get to us at theothersideacademy.com or uh, give our office a call at 801-953-0409. Love it.
0: Love to helping people. So Love it, man. Well, I think that's a great place to stop. And, uh, yeah, again, Jordan, thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity, BJ.